Hello and welcome to Simply Learning Tuition's podcast where we discuss all things education. My name is Kitty McQuerta and I'm an education consultant and today I'm going to be talking with Lawrence Killian. Lawrence was a former primary school head teacher and a senior manager at the local education authority. Lawrence has recently retired and is now working as a classical music composer and musician. With over 30 years of experience in education, he has built up a wealth of knowledge about how young people learn and what helps them succeed in their lives and how best to motivate them to do their best. He has a keen interest in how, through developing a learner's resilience and awareness of self-talk, they can increasingly become motivated, independent and successful in their life. We are really looking forward to talking to you today, Lawrence. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. So I understand that you are now retired, Lawrence, but you were formerly a headmaster of a primary school. Was this the the end goal in your career? Was it the favourite part of your career or how did you get there? That's an interesting question because actually it was one of a few things that um, I've done throughout my career and often done in parallel and... um, the ones uh, I started with were not to do with education at all. One was in retail, the other was in sales. But those things led to me coming to the point where I went back to what I always wanted to do, which was to teach and be with, with people. I really enjoy that. Um, and no, it wasn't the ultimate goal because I, I then went on to work with many schools, primary and secondary Um, as a local education authority um, officer, um, looking, working with governors, um, looking at teaching and learning and understanding how and uh, the best ways that pupils and students learn. And music has been a big thing in the background as well. So, and I'm still onto that. I still haven't reached the highest note yet, Kitty. (laughs) So you're always, you're always aspiring. Which is, yeah, always, which is great. always. So today we're going to be talking about reaching your full potential, particularly focused on children and how they're going to reach their full potential and what goes on behind the scenes and how yeah. we as teachers and parents can help them reach their full potential. Because as we all know, it's very complicated for children as they grow up going through those stages. So how would you define reaching your full potential or one reaching their full potential? Well, just following on from what I just said, in theory, I would say definitely that we have an unending potential that we can aspire to throughout our lives. And that depends on what we believe inside. We will define through that what we want to do at that given moment in time. If you, if you ever say, and I've said this to myself, you've reached your full potential, I, I think that's probably a misnomer. You've reached that point in your life and you're going to be striving for something else. It, it's, a, it's a viewpoint. I'll give you an example. In, in achieving a win or a record in sport or, or a great musical performance or a good grade in an examination, you think, yay, I've got to that stage. Um, And now it's all over. But of course, um, what you do find, uh, and certainly the older you become, um, you find that that is only a a staging post. And it's it's a staging post that can lead you 
onto your next goal or the next thing that you do, or not if it hasn't been a success. Um, so I'm not sure that within our lifetime and with the relatively short time we have that you can ever reach your full potential. If you ask any individual of, of great achievement, um, you'll probably find that their replies would be something like, well, although I've reached greatness in the eyes of loads of people, uh, eyes of many, uh, there seems to be so much more within me yet to be discovered. I've certainly found that um, observing learners and through my own experience, if we stop striving for the next thing or try to maintain that standard we've achieved, maintain being the key word, we'll actually begin to go backwards. So as in summary, I think that others may judge that we have or haven't reached our full potential. But what will usually be the case is that we will judge ourselves internally. I always say as well to students, beware, because as the saying goes, ignorance is bliss. And at that point, you probably stop striving. So that's what I would say. So about... it's more of a very personal experience and everyone should be aspiring for different things. And it's, it's, it's almost very linked to goal setting. We've always got to set ourselves yeah. goals and try and reach these to keep pushing ourselves. Yeah, I believe that's the case. And certainly I found that really helpful uh, for myself pers personally um, in my personal life, but also for my family um, and, and friends and those that I've uh, actually worked with or been with. Uh, yes, that's what I would say. Okay, so if we're talking about how we can equip ourselves to start striving and reaching our full potential, what do you think we need in order to reach that? Is it our nature? Is it just how we've been brought up or is it how we've been nurtured? What would you say? Yeah, it's 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 a complex one, this one. Um, but I, I, I've whittled it down to four main areas that I would say we need to pay attention to inside in, in, in our thinking. I, you may have heard me talk about um, my self-talk or our self-talk, especially if I've mishit a ball um, that's supposed to be going over the net. So firstly, I would say be aware that we actually talk to ourselves all the time, um, subconsciously, sometimes we're aware of it. More often than not, we're not aware. It's a conversation. It's, it never seems to stop. Um, and it's a conversation that we have internally, and it's to explain what we're thinking about in a particular situation particularly when we're listening, uh, we'll have a, a, another layer that's that's talking to us and saying, well, I don't particularly like what that person's wearing or, oh, I don't agree with that. Um, and we're telling ourselves things all the time. So be aware that we're actually talking to ourselves. And when we've hit, mishit a ball or missed a note on in playing a trumpet or misspelled a word, we're probably saying, oh, you, you, you silly thing. You shouldn't be doing that. Um, so be careful of what you're saying to yourself or be aware of it. The second thing, which is so important, and, and I'd like to talk a bit more about this perhaps later, but I'd say developing resilience or staying power and to understand that to not always succeed is not failure. That is so important 
um, because we do learn through our mistakes and we need to be given space to actually do that. But to, to develop that is so important in reaching our full potential. The third thing I think that's so important that we often try to avoid, and that is the recognition that change happens. It happens all the time. We, we grow older, we get grey hair in my case or whatever, and how important it is to try to be ready for that change. And then to actually change, don't, don't fight it because it will change, and to enjoy it, to enjoy the change again and again. And in my own career, I've, I've certainly made that a focus, and I, I do enjoy change, I do enjoy meeting new people, doing new things. And it's great fun and it's very energizing. So to recognize that change happens. Um, and finally, yeah, you talked about um, nurture and, and nature. Um, so be aware that things might get in the way and hold us back. And what this is about is, is our habits, attitudes, beliefs, our expectations that we've built up through our lives. And these things are mainly generated by what people say to us about what we've done. I remember going to uh, secondary school, the first French lesson that I had, we were taught the verb uh, je suis, to be. Um, and I learned it really methodically. I was really proud. I wanted to learn French. Went home with some homework and it was about shopping which I found a little bit difficult, but I, I had a go and uh, brought the homework back, sat in the lesson and the teacher leant over my shoulder and I heard a tut tut. Oh, you're not going to be a linguist, are you, Lawrence? And that stuck with me. And in fact, I'm, I'm absolutely hopeless at, at French to this day, but I know I, I could be able to do it. My daughter speaks French. So those four things, uh, four areas there, to be aware of those things, I think is so important. I agree with you, particularly learning from your failures, you should really try and view uh, making mistakes as a positive and really stepping forward and learning from that, especially when you're young, and a yep. lot of things are new. And there's, there's so many opportunities to take from making mistakes. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, uh, for educators and for parents and for people surrounded by young people, it is important to remain supportive and encouraging to children Absolutely. as well. Yes. Um, at what age do you think children start being aware of striving and trying to do things better and trying to on, get on that road to reach their full potential? Yeah, as a, as a head teacher and um, a teacher that has taught most age groups, including secondary, I, I taught secondary music, but primary, um, one of the most interesting and challenging um, ages or year groups was the rising fives, um, in, in, uh, reception and key stage one through to age seven. So in, in looking at how to best serve the needs of, of the youngsters and how to recognize when they are ready for learning. Um, one thing that struck me through research was um, when, when we finish teething and the pain begins to stop, we, our brains start to take things in and it starts to become 
hardwired. So that's typically by age three or once the molars have come through. Um, and this it indicates that this is when the brain starts hardwiring our experiences, our feelings more methodically through our senses. And the brain initially and actually uh, receives everything. It records sound, images, smells and touch. And those experiences and feelings are hardwired in a memory and, and they can influence us throughout our lives in future situations. For instance, if you touch some, accidentally touch something hot, hopefully our natural reflexes will have made us pull away quickly. Uh, but something as traumatic as that, it'll stick with us and, and it's hardwired. And hopefully it'll save us from a similar danger in future when we see an iron or whatever it was, we, we avoid it. So those early years are so crucial in forming the foundation and the, and the baseline for who we become and how we react to people, places and things in the future. I, I think that by the age of um, uh, 11, 12, we have become who we are, um, the person that we will be into the future so not usually until we get to age about 30 will we realize that that's the case but um having gone through that myself and seen others um secondary school all sorts are happening we've got hormones blowing in especially for lads um and then there's the newness of going into work and so on. And it's all a distraction from that wonderful moment when I was delivering half pints of milk to all the class, all the classes in primary school as a, as a primary school student age 11. I loved it. And I just felt so um, empowered, so good. Um, and I'd also started playing um, a cornet, a trumpet at that time. So I felt really good. And then Oh, puberty kicks in. But um, broadly speaking, looking at primary, by the age of seven, girls um, have become a bit more grounded and aware of their surroundings than boys. Um, at Key Stage 1, boys seem to be, dare I say, all over the place. And we need to accept that and, and not fight it, um, try and guide it, that the lads seem to be more interested in football or whatever it is and that their capacity for learning and concentration is is certainly less than girls and as a teacher or a parent you need to be aware of that so girls seem to get distracted by around the age of nine and ten what i found in year five especially teaching that age group was that there was a lot of name calling, little cliques of of girls getting together, um, often uh, nasty things, tricks being played on on one another. But it does seem to be short lived. And if you can tap into that energy of girls at year five, by year six, all is on track again. Boys appear to gradually get their act together as learners by year five and six, and it is a, a gradual progressions some things that can actually help and fix that better um, i found our extracurricular activities uh, sports brilliant absolutely up there 
music is incredibly important or hobbies um uh, stamp collecting um and interesting in pets they really do help to pull things together for boys and girls in positive ways and those things usually lead to a much improved and more effective learning situation for uh, for children often with positive outcomes as well and it's something both schools and families can get involved with and you see really motivated bright eye bright eyed quickening young lives that are coming through and oh, that gets me so much to see that it's it's wonderful that's really really interesting um, and lots of great information and tips there and it is amazing to see such young children you can see how determined they are even when they're trying to teach themselves to crawl and yeah. then walk so yes. they're always looking to learn especially when they're young there's so many new and exciting things to learn and then it's interesting how you spoke about girls and boys then differ and I can remember being in primary school and really relating to that sense of girls becoming more socially aware and um, yes. cliquey and things like that and you managed to tie in a lot of information which relates to my next question which is actually how can schools help children reach their full potential and again you might be able to highlight how this is different for boys and girls or more generally yeah um it does indeed um link um and it's something all those things that we talked about those are ways certainly at primary and probably secondary that schools can help being aware that boys and girls learn at different uh, at a different pace at different stages uh, puberty is is a big one that um, often it looks as though lads of boys particularly have, uh, have lost it completely um, until they get to be about 21 or some would say 60 whatever but uh, it does have an impact to me though um, how can schools help children reach their full potential it's been a great focus throughout my career particularly in the past 10 11 years um actually no it's nearly it's nearly 18 when i had it up where i worked with m many schools looking at what worked what could be done better particularly looking at preparation for dare i say um, an ofsted inspection which actually was a good thing because it, it it helped us to focus on three things the most important is people the second is place and then the practice or curriculum. I'll just say that I believe that you could be in the middle of a field and just talking or looking around at what's there with people that you trust and, and want to be with. And you can learn so much from that. So the curriculum thing, getting hung up, schools getting hung up on the curriculum is not the most important thing ever, in my view. And, and certainly I've seen that. So people need to feel happy, loved, valued, sufficiently fed and watered, and, and particularly not alone. I often saw in a lesson where the teacher um, gave the exposition or, or presented the idea and then set some challenges in uh, different uh, levels of ability, usually, um, maybe three or four different tables, different activities. And one thing I saw straight away with um, perhaps those that were struggling was that the helper or teaching assistant or sometimes a teacher immediately went to that table and started leading the learning 
instead of let, letting the pupils have a good go for themselves. And certainly my message to any teacher in any learning uh, teaching situation is let the students have a go and sit on your hands, close your mouth, just let them try. And then have a look and feed back to them, but more to yourself on what, how did they respond to it? Was what you said sufficient uh, to enable them to engage productively and deeply into one or two things? So people, place, it needs to be safe. And believe it or not, the, the number of schools that didn't have a comfortable temperature, it was, or it was too bright or too dark. And one that might make you, you chuckle is good smells. Good smells <laughs> are so important. And um, I used to put uh, essence of whatever, uh, primrose, um, mint, in the classroom at different times of day when I was teaching. And um, not only did I feel good, but I didn't say to the children I was doing that, but they often came back and, and said, oh, I like that. It makes me feel, and that was good. So curriculum or practice um, is all about providing time so that the students, the learners can repeat things so that they become second nature and hardwired. As, as, as we talked about earlier, space to try things out and learn from mistakes, which we, we both recognise it's so important. And to do fewer things, but to do it in depth. Don't throw the whole catalogue of the Victorians or the Elizabethans. Just look at one aspect of it and go deep with that. And, and my mantra used to be, do less, better, all the time. So, and the other thing is schools are, of course, the only part of the story. Uh, most of the time, most of the year um, is spent for a student, for a pupil, is spent away from school. Um, and is it about a, t a third of our time on average is spent sleeping? Yeah, I think so that's right. It's, some, it, it's, it's quite a, a large amount. So students typically spend about six hours per day during term time at school. And when you look at the amount of planned teaching and learning when it's underway, in reality, it's often less than two hours. And I've done a lot of research, a lot of looking at this. So the things that cut it down are breaks, lunchtime, assembly, getting changed for PE, sport, moving between lessons, disruption in lessons where there might be a bit of, of uh, bad, bad behaviour, poor behaviour. So planning the timetable and organising the routines so that there's um, sufficient time and it's it's used as efficiently as possible is absolutely paramount. Um, learning new things, it's almost almost always about learning a new habit or getting the knack of doing something. And I, I always like to share this gem. Uh, the most powerful thing we did in my school was to recognise that if a new task or, or a concept that we were wanting to teach was practiced intensely for about 10 minutes every day, once a day, uh, for 10 days in succession, then the chances of that becoming a hardwired thing, a, a, a learnt thing that was done second nature, like a spelling or something to do with maths, it especially works well in grammar, maths, sports, 
music, learning a new song or piece of music, doing that once a day intensely for 10 minutes or 15 at most over a 10-day period without a one-day break, it had an impact. And the idea for that came from the fact that our bodies usually take 10 days or, or on a 10-day cycle to heal. So in other words, if it's a cut or a bruise, it usually takes 10 days and you, you can't really do anything about that. That's just inbuilt. And it's the same when you're actually trying to hardwire the brain, I suppose. You're becoming a brain surgeon at this point, but um, you're changing what's in, what's in there. The challenge was to sustain that over the weekend. So we had five days with the students, but the weekend the student wasn't in school. So what could we do? Best thing we ever did was to share this thought with parents. And we explained what we were trying to do and promised to let them know how we'd all got along if we could actually work on this together. So a, a type of homework or at least giving space to the students over the weekend, they didn't have to become involved. They just needed to say, OK, for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you ought to have a go at what you've been asked to do from school. And everybody, as a result, felt energised. And I can tell you that I, I worked in some very challenging schools where attainment wasn't good and um, attainment for maths over a, an 18-month period in, this, in my school went from the low 20s, attaining the uh, national standard, to uh, 60 65, 66% in 18, 18 months. And uh, I always learned from that. That was fairly early doors in my headship, but it stuck with me. Here, here, this is the moment, this is the moment though, the most powerful thing for me that schools can do is to develop resilience in children, as we talked about earlier. And it's best done by creating that secure and creative environment where Persistence and sustained effort is, is rewarded. And all setbacks are seen as temporary. We said that, didn't we, earlier, Kitty, where just allowing students, allowing mistakes, learn from that. But it, it's a setback. It's, it's temporary, not permanent. And secondly, to encourage children to understand, actually, that frustration, that frustration needs to be developed almost as a friend, because the feeling of positive self-esteem occurs when we succeed because of our efforts, not those of others. And uh, for, for schools, um, parents that might be interested, I can re recommend a book by Martin Seligman, and it's called The Optimistic Child. It's a brilliant source for more ideas, and I've used it in many, many situations, and it's quite inspirational. That's all really, really interesting stuff and very interesting about how you say the environment is so important um, yeah. for those children to learn, even more than what's actually in the curriculum. It's about creating that environment where they feel like they can make mistakes and they feel like they can try things out and not be afraid that they're going to go wrong. And the other yeah. thing that I think is really interesting is how you say about developing a habit and doing 10 minutes every day for 10 days. And I think that is, you know, you don't think of it initially, but it, it is obvious because if we do want to be the best at something, we have to put practice in like the 10,000 hours rule. Yeah. I know yeah. from a child, I was trying to become a professional tennis player and I'd play for, you know, yeah. 20 hours a week and put in that practice. There's no way I'm ever going to 
reach my full potential if I don't put the practice in. So it's about learning those positive habits. Absolutely. Um, in terms of how parents can help children reach their full potential, is it very similar to schools? Is it about allowing children to try things out and not trying to tell them or give them instructions all the time, but actually let them develop a sense of learning? Yeah, it's exactly that, Kitty. All of the all of the things we talked about um, linked to schools apply equally at home. Obviously, it's in a less formal and, and a more relaxed way, but they can be applied at home. People, place, practice those three things. I often say at home, the, tr- the difference is positive people, positive place, positive practice. So positive people saying nice things about people and to one another and having a shared responsibility for our own happiness is is perhaps one of the differences. The place, well, home, I believe, is a place where everyone, everyone wants to be. It, it should be ideally tidy, clean, and a place where we've all got a shared responsibility for the upkeep of, of that place. And, and practice, positive practice, I think that's about time to discover new places and do new things together, which isn't always possible or, or hardly possible um, at school. But you can certainly do it as a family for parents to share their own interests, so important, and aspirations, but not just sharing them through saying, but doing them. And most importantly, parents to explain how it makes them feel. And, and we often forget to do that with our children because we think they know, uh, because we feel good. But to actually say, this makes me feel this way is so important. And um, a fun way of checking it out, and one I've used a lot with year five and year six pupils and parents, was to apply the concept of no put downs for 24 hours. So the idea behind it is the challenge is not to blame anyone else for anything that might go wrong over that 24-hour period at home, or don't blame anybody else or call them for anything that is irritating you, and to always look for the positives if you're going to say anything. Otherwise, don't say anything. And it's quite astounding what impact that has. And it tells you so much about yourself, but also you've probably got your your children and husband, wife, whoever thinking, wow, that's not like you. What's going on? What's what's happened? And it really does have a massive impact. And and it's a practical way of checking out what your talk is like um, and what that ethos is like at home. And the underlying theme here, is it's about that conversation that says, if something's gone wrong, I like you very much, but I don't like what you do because it makes me feel sad, angry, frustrated, etc. So it's about taking the act and placing that separately, particularly as a parent. You're saying, I do love you and I like you very much, but when that happens... It makes me feel really sad. So it's a good way of emphasising it without blaming that person and making them feel responsible because it's probably not totally their responsibility. So in other words, don't be judgmental about the person. Be judgmental about the act and how it makes you feel and how it makes them feel. And that's the difference, I would say. 
I think that's a great piece of advice for any parents and a great way of dealing with the situation. But I think what you say, I completely agree with. And I think the most important thing is to be the best role model that you can be and actually yeah. demonstrate the behaviours that you want to see as well. And also create that atmosphere where you encourage open talking and having conversations with your children and being open. I think that's really important in today's society as well. Definitely. And that that isn't always easy. Parent, um, I, I've, I've sometimes found it difficult and I've had to count to 10, as it were, to give that chance to just reflect, but also to respect um, our, our children and to give them that space. Yeah, it's so important, Kitty. Thank you so much for talking and telling us all these really interesting and useful things, Lawrence. I just wanted to finish um, on asking you a question. What do you think might be the main thing from holding back a child yeah. from reaching their full potential? Well, I could go, I could give you a whole list of, of things, um, and, but I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say the greatest thing here. And I, I've worked a lot on a programme called the Investment in Excellence. It was developed by Lou Tice, who was a, a football coach in the States. He, he and his wife adopted 50 more than 50 children uh, throughout their lifetime. He only died about four or five years ago. But um, I came across him when I was um, 40 years old, and um, it answered so many questions for me, answered so much, and it helped me understand who I was and why I was like that, and also helped me to actually understand why I succeeded in some situations and why I didn't in others. And, and this, this is so important. And I, I share this with you with eagerness. So how, I mentioned earlier that self-talk and this to me is the thing that can hold us back from reaching our full potential. It's nothing to do with other people. Well, actually it is, but it's mainly to do with that talk inside our heads. And it can have far-reaching consequences, especially if it is negative. So here we go. It's the attitude and opinions I have about myself. It, it forms a, such a strong subconscious picture that it becomes my truth. And we've heard a lot about my truth, um, that might be somebody else's not truth, or there are many truths. But actually, my truth is, is what we talk about inside. So it's massively important for children to begin to understand how this can have an impact on their performance. So research shows that this self-talk, the things that we say to ourselves whenever we're doing anything, it reinforces my self-image. So in other words, who I think I am. And my, my self-image, as a result, it controls my performance. So if I'm saying I can't speak French, well, lo and behold, I can't speak French, and the chances are not good. But my performance then, this is the key, my performance then stimulates my self-talk, and my self-talk can then become positive or negative. And understanding that as a result of that, I act as I know I am. But that might not be the truth, but it is to me. And that is the, the greatest thing that holds people back from reaching their full potential 
in my opinion. So we really need to focus on creating a positive mindset and telling ourselves we can achieve something or otherwise we're going to spiral into a negative mindset and therefore not be able to achieve what we want to achieve or what we actually, believe actually actually see ourselves put ourselves in that situation you may have seen um some sports research that shows if you imagine that you're dribbling a ball up and down the the court um in your mind if you do that once and it's 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 vivid then when you actually do it it feels as though you've done it already and it's that sort of it's that sort of thing that's so important to understand that you can rehearse things in your mind's eye and it does help inside and it does have an impact on self-talk and yeah absolutely kitty if that can be positive then the sky's the limit wow well i'm feeling inspired um, and that has been a really interesting conversation. So thank you so much, Lawrence, for joining us You're on the podcast. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I loved talking to you. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast with Lawrence, there are plenty more podcasts on our podcast channel, which you can access via all your favourite streaming platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much.